This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello, hello. Welcome to tonight's Indivisible Town Hall, all about how to talk to voters. I am Stephen Cox. Special thanks to Louise Pate, Robin Gittleman, and Kevin Jones. And of course, thanks to all of you for joining us tonight, whether you are live with us uh, or on Facebook Live or YouTube or the podcast or terrestrial radio. So many ways to catch this program. We are so glad that you are here and joining us. Before we begin, we do wish to acknowledge that we live and work on the ancestral homelands of many indigenous peoples throughout the Pacific Northwest. So as I was saying before we get started here, we have an incredible program for you tonight, but there is a lot to cover first. And so uh, before we get started, first and foremost, I will ask everybody, if you haven't yet, please mute uh, yourself. We will have the opportunity to bring you in later for a discussion, but if you haven't muted yourself, please just check that you have. Uh, and also just by way of preview, uh, Kat and I thought we would just take a moment to discuss why we are doing this town hall and what we can expect. So uh, Kat, hello, hello my partner in crime. How the heck are you? Um, Kat is, of course, the executive producer of this series on the steering committee with Wynn. I I will ask you before we begin, because I know that we have, we were talking about this before we begin, we have people from all 10 congressional districts with us tonight. What uh, an achievement. Super exciting. Who is with us? Who's joining us tonight? Oh my gosh, we have so many Washington Education Association members here with us. We have Friends from Northern Oregon and from the Portland area here to help us in the CD3 races, uh, also some of whom are educators here in Washington State. I want to make a special welcome to Bellevue City Council member Janice Zahn. Thank you for coming, Janice. Yep. Uh, we also have Sammamish City Council member uh, Pam Stewart. Pam Stewart. Hello, my friend. So good to have you here with us tonight. So listen, as I was saying, uh, this has been months in the making because we've been hearing from you that uh, we would like to ultimately the messaging that we are going to need to deliver uh, is going to probably be a little nuanced right now, given all of the things that are happening between now and November. Uh, so we want to inform you and really give you the tools that you need to communicate with voters while we're out on the doors. Um, Kat, I, I was wondering, do we want to just say a few words about why we are doing this uh, before we proceed? Yeah, without taking up too much air in the room, basically we've been hearing for months uh, since the last election just about uh, that people want this kind of information. The stakes are incredibly high, uh, as we know, in this election. Um, we're going to be super interactive tonight, so we hope everybody brought their questions and are ready to drop them into the chat bar uh, so that when we get to that part of the program, we can take them. So I do want to just give people a sense of what is coming up tonight, because uh, we are going to be covering a lot of ground. So, Kat, would, would you mind just giving a quick thumbnail, uh, uh, just giving people an idea of what they're going to learn in tonight's session? Yeah, sure. So first, we're going to start out by learning a little bit about the different kinds of canvassing, voter ID canvassing versus different deeper canvassing that is more movement building. Um, then we're going to have some role playing around Washington state specific and Pacific Northwest specific issues. And then lastly, we'll have a bunch of time at the end for audience questions. 
Yes, indeed. So we will say this again. Please, please, please start to put your questions into the chat bar, and we want to get to as many of these as we possibly can. Um, also, I will mention this. Um, we're not going to get to everything tonight, and uh, because of that, we are planning on breaking this up into a series of town halls. Uh, and I thought we would just give you a billboard of some of the, the subjects that we're going to be covering down the line. Kat, what are some of the ones that we're thinking about doing? So, and everybody can chime in on this to help Please. us prioritize these. But uh, first and foremost, we thought we'd probably tackle reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. um, that is obviously top of everybody's mind in this election. Also threats to rights and democracy. Uh, some of the GOP ongoing culture wars, including trans issues, book banning, uh, crime and policing, which is a big one here for Washington state. And depending on what you guys have to say, maybe some others as well. Absolutely right. So please let us know. Uh, you can always get in touch with me at stephancox at gmail.com. Let us know if there are things you would like covered in the town hall series. Um, so let us bring in our panelists. You know our our first panelist, of course. She is uh, Nina Musavi. She is Indivisible National Organizing Manager for Washington and California. Big hands for our dear, dear Nina. Nina, welcome, my friend. Hey, everyone. Lovely to see familiar faces and then also so many new faces. Yeah, Lovely yeah, yeah. It's super exciting to meet some new folks on the call here tonight. And uh, Lauren Ortel, I'm very excited to introduce you to Lauren. She is National Organizing Manager for New Mexico and Texas. So, uh, Lauren, welcome to you. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Nina, you know, I want to start with you by, uh, and Kat had mentioned kind of the order that we're going to go in. So I thought we would uh, start a little bit by talking about the different kinds of canvassing that uh, we do out on the doors. And I want to start with what is called voter ID canvassing, which I think most people are familiar with. So uh, just to put, make it plain, what is voter ID canvassing? Yeah, so voter ID canvassing is the type of canvassing that you're familiar with and that you've come to know. So we're talking about phone banking or traditional door-to-door -door canvassing or text banking, where you're having a back and forth with a voter that is based on identifying either whether they've registered to vote, whether they've returned their ballot already, or who they are planning to vote for. This type of canvassing is not intended to be persuasive. It's not intended to be a long back and forth where you're debating issues or getting to know what somebody uh, is thinking about. Uh, you are often following a very uh, stringent script that has questions that you have to answer on either a platform or on a clipboard. If you're phone banking, it's gonna be probably on a computer platform. Um, if you're door-to-door -door canvassing on a clipboard, if you're text banking, it's usually within the platform where you're marking, you know, registered to vote, likely Dem, you know, in support of, Joe Smith. Uh, so that's the type of voter ID canvassing that we have come to know through phone banking, text banking, and regular door-to-door -door canvassing. It's really efficient. It's used often for bringing awareness. So you get a couple of uh, sentences that you're sharing about the candidate, um, maybe making somebody aware that, that an election is even happening or making them aware of what the date of the election is, what the date of voter registration deadlines or vote by mail deadlines. It's informative. You, you're getting to give a little bit of information and then you're getting some identification for that voter. 
to take back into a larger system where it all gets digested and processed. And that's kind of the, the, the hamster wheel of voter ID canvassing. And it's an important part of what we do. Again, really efficient. It's really fast. And it's very traditional, often used by lots of campaigns um, and even grassroots in the grassroots movement, the, the progressive and the conservative side, you'll see a lot of that. Uh, on the other side of it, you have what we call deep values canvassing or movement building deep canvassing. Right. And I'm really excited that my colleague Lauren is here um, and Lauren's going to dive uh, into that in a moment. But uh, just for, for folks who don't know Lauren or are not familiar with Lauren, Lauren is uh, one of the individuals who's running our deep values work that we've got going on um, for the next year or however long they decide to go uh, through it. And then we also have another team that is uh, doing our deep canvassing work for the election cycle. So some of you may have logged on to one of our deep canvassing phone banks that we've got going on. Um, and maybe you interacted with Nora or AJ. Uh, that team is running it specifically for elections. Um, so there are kind of various avenues in which deep canvassing can take place. Um, but it's significantly different from our voter ID canvassing that we have kind of come to know over the last couple of election cycles. Well, we're gonna spend a, a Quite the bulk of, of our time, I think, really unpacking how uh, deep canvassing works. But before we move on from that, I think uh, since the preponderance of people up to this point have been doing this voter ID canvassing, I, Kat and I are talking almost like a broken record about messaging. And so I, I wanted to touch base with you on this, Nina. Where in your mind does messaging fit in? What sort of a role should it play when you're just kind of doing voter touch, uh, voter ID canvassing? So that messaging is going to be really important from the perspective of what can you get across in one or two sentences to a person who you have some identifying information. So when we're doing the voter ID canvassing, you are likely, um, say if you're phone banking, you're likely doing a phone bank that is targeted to a certain demographic of people, uh, whether it's, um, their age or their zip code or um, their propensity to vote, you know, whatever that might be, you are targeting that specific demographic. And so the messaging that's being used will likely be tailored to that demographic. So if a candidate has 10 different policies that they're pushing on a platform, but the phone bank or the door to door that you're working on right now is targeted to say, you know, people between the ages of 20 and 35, you're likely going to be talking about an issue that speaks more to that demographic, as is determined by the campaign or the progressive movement. So that messaging is really important if you're able to get it in small snippets. Nice. Um, and that is very specific to our election work. When we look at the deep canvassing, whether it's movement building or specifically for the election, you're gonna see messaging play a much bigger role. And it's not gonna be in what can I fit in a one sentence snippet. It's going to be, where is this conversation going? Really using that intuition around that conversation. And Lauren is going to dive into that really, really deep. And it's going to be great. And she can speak to it much better than I can. 
Well, what I think is so exciting about this, and I confess that I have not done any uh, a deep uh, movement building, deep canvassing, but one of the things that I find most appealing, and I think most people on this call will find appealing, is that we're natural listeners, and we're all em empathic uh, by nature, and I think this really plays into our strengths. And so, Lauren, I want to bring you in here. Nina has kind of talked about some of the fundamental differences between movement building, deep canvassing, but maybe you can go a little bit deeper. What is it and how specifically is it different from voter ID canvassing? Sure. Um, so I would say one of the biggest differences in when you're going to be canvassing for a campaign or doing the more voter ID version is uh, they're usually looking for quantity, especially if we're in get out the vote mode. It's, you know, how many doors can you hit? You want to maximize the number of doors that you're going to. Um, for deep canvassing, it's the opposite. We focus on quality over quantity. So when I've gone out with folks in uh, different cities in the two states that I cover, Texas and New Mexico, um, I set a goal of if we have two conversations, that is great. That is a win. And that's going to be worth the two hours or, you know, one to two hours that we were out there knocking on doors. So it's a different mindset um, because you're really looking to connect with someone. So uh, deep canvassing is essentially a voter, a voter outreach method that centers on candid two-way conversations where the canvassers are asking their neighbors, ideally you're going to canvass in your own neighborhoods um, or nearby ones to share uh, what's relevant to them and especially any emotionally significant experiences and then to reflect on that. So as the canvasser, you want to be really open, you want to be doing more listening uh, than talking. And um, on the messaging part, I, I find it actually to be a little bit of a break um, from feeling like you need to have all the right talking points uh, for any given issue and that you need to be the expert um, because we can't all be experts on all things. And um, unfortunately, we have found that uh, facts don't change people's minds. <laughs> so that is a big part of uh, why deep canvassing matters, because if you can connect with folks and have a conversation with them, and if they really feel like you care and you're listening and they're able to share things that maybe no one else has asked, you know, what what they care about and what they want. Um, so it, it's much more about thinking about the experience that person is having and making sure they are heard um, than trying to persuade anyone. Um, and just for context, uh, the program that I run with Scott um, is C3. So it's nonpartisan, non-electoral, which means we don't even talk about candidates. So it does sound like um, y'all are hoping that you can use some deep canvassing methods and then get to that point where you are talking about, you know, um, you shared with me that this issue was important to you. And it looks like this candidate running for you know, your um, city council member position or uh, state representative or Senate, anything, um, they actually share that same value. And I've noticed that. So that's not something that um, the program that I run goes into, but you can take the foundation um, that I'll share and then um, I'll explain how you can connect that to those next steps of hopefully uh, turning the person one into a voter and then two uh, voting for folks who um, also are fighting for a better future for all of us, which is hopefully where we can take things. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, so the people that you're talking to certainly are the quote unquote persuadables. And so this is speaking to this question already, but I'm, I'm reminded of the starfish analogy and, and 
and I'm thinking about, you know, you said the two conversations can often outweigh the, you know, the, the bulk of voter ID conversations that we have. And, and I, I would love for you to maybe drill down on that just a little bit. Why? What are we gaining from these conversations that is so, so crucial uh, that that serves us ultimately as, as we as, as we move forward in trying to, uh, to persuade people? Uh, yes, I'm glad you asked that. So I would say one of the things is um, the strategy for deep canvassing is much more about the long term. So if we're trying to reach folks who normally or often vote Democrat and we're doing voter ID canvassing to get to their doors and remind them to vote or make sure they're voting for the candidate, we hope they will. Um, that That's important and we need that. There are so many folks, I don't know the um, the numbers in Washington and Texas, we have millions of people who are eligible to vote and who do not vote. So when I run deep canvassing programs, I ask for a list of folks who don't vote. Um, maybe they, they're registered. Well, we do need them to be registered so that they show up on our list. Um, but we were using the parameter of didn't vote in 2020. So we were hoping that would mean that we didn't end up at Trump doors, uh, which so far we haven't with these lists that we've been using. Um, but we show up at doors with folks who probably have various good and or understandable reasons for not voting. And so if we can uh, change or have an additional way that we are approaching how we are trying to build our multiracial, multi-generational, inclusive democracy in this country, we really um, can't continue ignoring this, you know, millions of people across the country who have decided or don't have access to voting. And so making those connections, and you mentioned persuadables. So if there are folks who are kind of on the fence, who are hearing all of this conflicting information, um, just being able to share that with someone um, can help them feel encouraged and, um, you know, hopefully empowered as well. So I think a, a big part of this is we're hoping to build the movement. And if that looks like um, helping someone shift from being a, a non-voter to a, okay, you know, maybe I'll, I'll consider voting. That's a huge win. Um, we need that a lot. There are also conversations we've had with folks who don't often vote, but after conversation with us decided that they want to get involved and they want to join the local indivisible group or another organization that focuses on the issue that is most important to them. And so that's building the movement and that's empowering folks to know that they can have a say and take action toward addressing the things that they're really concerned about. And so we really want to bring so many more people around the country um, to help get them engaged and empowered. And that's um, a big part of what Deep Canvassing aims to do. So we're going to talk about how this works specifically. Um, and I think an entree into that, and you've talked a lot about the importance of this. And so I don't think we need to drill down much further on that. But I, I am curious to know, as people are listening to this, they may think be thinking to themselves, well, I don't really know instinctively how to conduct these sorts of conversations. So what, what would you say, what sort of skills do we need to bring to these conversations? Great question. So uh, the skills that I've identified that I think are most helpful for these types of conversations are flexibility. So somebody says something that you weren't quite expecting. 
it's okay to um, not have the, the perfect answer to everything because we, we can't. And so just, you know, showing your humanity and being like, oh, you know, I really don't know much about that. And uh, which leads to another one, which is curiosity. If we can focus on our curiosity about what the other person is saying, even if we disagree with it, and even if it makes us cringe and we're like, oh, this is really problematic what they just said, um, you know, and I'll, I'll talk about how to make judgment calls on that because sometimes people say something where where, you know, immediately I'm like, oh, I totally disagree. But do I feel safe enough to continue this conversation and learn more about why they feel that way? What experiences they have had that led them to believe that? So flexibility, curiosity, patience. Um, you know, sometimes people have a lot to tell you. Um, sometimes some very personal information. Um, sometimes, you know, really hard stories um, that they might share. And so that's why we we do want to keep reminding ourselves about quality over quantity. We don't, if someone's, you know, sharing something really personal, we don't want to be like, okay, well, we got to get to 10 more doors. So, you know, thanks for telling me that, but I got to go. Um, so making some space for folks to feel like they can really share and that you're not trying to rush off to the next door. And then the last thing is um, a humble mindset. So again, we can't be the experts in everything. There are so many issues out there that I have somewhat of an opinion, but if someone were to add, you know, really grill me on all the different aspects of that, I'd likely be like, okay, actually that's not my area of expertise. I've, you know, heard this from folks who, um, who do study that more or are more involved in that issue. Um, but I'm, I'm not the expert. And so I think, um, we can feel okay with saying when we don't know rather than, um, you know, trying to answer every question they might have. So if someone were to ask me, um, you know, exactly all of the, um, the reasons behind the inflation issues that we're having and exactly how much of a role Biden has compared to other things and gas prices. And, you know, like I, ha- I have some some things um, that pop into my mind, but am I, do I feel totally prepared to, um, you know, educate them on everything about that? No. <laughs> so, so instead of trying to educate and to persuade, we can um, be very quick to say, oh, I'm not sure about that. You know, I'm curious about that as well. And, um, and then again, try to connect back into the curiosity, the, what are their personal experiences with that issue? What maybe some of your own personal experiences with that issue, how you can find some connection and things like that. Well, you and Nina are going to be doing some role playing here in just a second to show exactly how this sort of thing works. But the one thing that I want to stress before we get to that is because we recognize, as you're saying, that that, that, that is a volume game and it, it takes people doing this work consistently. And one of the things that will allow us to do this work consistency is doing it year round. If we've learned nothing else and we've learned so much from Stacey Abrams, uh, it is that this sort of work needs to be done year round. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but can you put a fine point on it? Why does this work need to be done year round? Yes. um, So a big part of this is uh, respecting our neighbors and uh, folks who live around the area and um, 
demonstrating that we value them for more than their vote. So every time it's election season, you know, folks are just getting bombarded with text messages, phone calls, door knocking. And I'm sure everyone here has experienced, uh, you know, voter fatigue and just like, okay, stop, <laughs> you know, leave, leave us alone. I'm, I've already no, 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 nobody here has, has experienced that. No, 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 no of course not. not You've never <laughs> done that. <laughs> and so, um, so when you're doing canvassing in election season, folks are already going to be kind of worn thin on how much they've been approached and just, um, you know, all the, the people telling them, telling them to vote, telling them who to vote for, when to vote, all that, you know, it's a lot of stuff coming at them. And so when you do this year round, um, you are demonstrating that we care about what you care about all the time, not just when it's time to try to convince you to vote for the people that that we want you to vote for. Um, and I did want to mention real quick, there was a um, a question about reasons why people don't vote. So um, in the deep canvassing trainings that I've led, I've actually opened with that question to the audience. Uh, tell me some reasons you think uh, folks don't vote. So uh, for time here, I, I can just jump into it. Um, but if anyone in the audience wants to drop your, your answers in the chat, feel free. Um, so I live in Texas um, where voter suppression is now at an extreme level. Um, so that's really difficult. I was on a call with a um, Mescalero uh, Native American uh, community leader yesterday for New Mexico um, who shared that a lot of folks cannot get to the polls. They're miles away. They don't have reliable transportation. Um, you know, and then in Texas, we've got voter ID laws and they just throw out the ballots, all kinds of things. So there are people who want to vote but don't have access for various reasons. And there are a lot of people who I totally understand are kind of over it <laughs> um, and, you know, might say like, so you're telling me to vote for Democrats and that that's going to save everything. But that hasn't worked before. So why should I believe you? You know, why? What have politicians ever done for me? And so there's, you know, being humble and listening to that that type of feedback of, you know, I, I hear you. There are a lot of folks who have made promises and it hasn't, you know, come to fruition or you've never been represented, uh, you know, especially indigenous folks like talk about, you know, having representation. Um, so, yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons that people either can't vote or choose not to vote. And so um, deep canvassing is a great way to connect with those folks. I will just ask you, and I know we're, we're about to turn things over to you and Nina uh, to lead a series of role-playing uh, to illustrate how all this is going to work. But you did get uh, quite a, a few questions in here. Would you like us to save those to the end? I think I can get to some of them quickly. So um, this question about note-taking during the conversation, um, that is we usually um, get our lists on van. So um, I always encourage at least pair two or three people. I would never ask someone to canvas by themselves. I don't feel safe doing that and wouldn't ask anyone else to do that. Um, <clears throat> and then of course now we have COVID though. So there's precautions there where both people are comfortable and being safe. Um, that way. But so um, one of one person will have the app, uh, the van app, and um, they will be marking. And if the person starts sharing any personal information, um, the person leading that conversation will say, uh, you know, just to let you know, we're um, taking some notes here. If there's anything, you know, you you'd rather that we don't note down or want to make sure, um, you know, stays private. But in general, um, the notes will just be, um, you know, um, angry about 
um, abortion rights, you know, being attacked or something, you know, like, so it's, we just want to identify, and there's going to usually be the script that, that I use will have, um, check boxes of all these different issue areas so that we can just kind of check them like, Oh, they mentioned they care about that and that and that. Um, but yeah, as far as like people getting uncomfortable with you taking notes, um, you can ask for permission if they start sharing anything personal, uh, partner, someone doing canvassing in my neighborhood, definitely hope that you partner uh, with folks and, and, um, do this together. There are different organizations who do canvassing and we love to partner, um, when we can. So yeah, the more, folks doing this together, the better. What do we do with the information you gather? Okay, so this is this is a big thing, especially if you want to take it to the next level beyond the C3 stage. So we do um, collect that data. So when we um, get a list from our data manager in BAN and it shows up in my phone when we're at the doors, and so it says the person's name and age and you know things like that, and we mark in our conversation what what issues are important to them. If the conversation goes well, toward the end of it, we're going to, if it seems like there's an opportunity there, we're going to invite them, offer, are you interested in getting involved in your local indivisible group? Or let's say they mentioned that, um, you know, environmental work or, you know, addressing um, the climate crisis is their one thing. And you know that that local indivisible group doesn't necessarily focus on that, but there's another, um, organization in the area. So, you know, just bringing people in, whether it's to Indivisible or any other progressive organization is great. So what we do is we collect that information of this person, this is their contact information, and they said they're interested in connecting with their local Indivisible group, let's say, for example. And so then we send it to the, the group um, leaders. And of course, we, you know, ask them, you know, what's the best contact information for you if they've already said, yeah, you know, I'm interested in, in checking out um, the group and getting involved. So then that that follow up is, um, you know, bringing them in. Another version is if they're not interested in getting involved, um, but they've let you know that some of the issues that are important to them happen to align with our values and the candidates that we're supporting. And so then when you come back to either do voter registration, if they weren't registered, or they probably will be if they're on the list, um, or if you're out uh, to get out the vote, you can have that conversation and say, you know, um, I, I talked to you last time, or one of my colleagues talked to you last time and heard that this was important to you. And, you know, we're so grateful you shared that. And we're pretty excited that this candidate X um, is, you know, working on that. That's one of their um, focuses. And we're, you know, really interested in, in seeing and getting someone in office who is going to focus on that. And so we just want to let you know, here's some information about the candidate. So you can take it to that level when you have that information where you know what that person cares about, even if they're not usually voting, um, they might vote if you follow up um, with them and in that second conversation where you let them know about the opportunity to um, vote for a candidate who shares their values. This is all extraordinary uh, information. I see people scribbling notes as we go. Uh, at this point, I'm going to st step back and turn things over to uh, you and Nina right now uh, for your role-playing uh, workshop to illustrate how all of this works. Awesome. And I will say that um, this will be unscripted. We don't have talking points. We don't have a plan other yeah. than I'm going to demonstrate being the canvasser and Nina is going to pretend to be someone on the other side of the door because we want to show y'all that it might look a little messy. It might feel a little awkward sometimes. Sometimes I might say something 
uh, or stumble on my words, or I might have a lot of, you know, I don't know about that, or, um, you know, say something that I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so this is going to be very, you know, feel very real. So we're going to do one version um, where it goes well and well enough to where hopefully I can recruit Nina into the movement. So we'll see how that goes. And then we're going to do another version um, where it doesn't go so well, because I did see we got a question uh, before this started about when do you know um, when to uh, shut down the conversation. And I think that's important to feel, you know, if it's just not feeling right and that person is starting to make you feel unsafe, how to go ahead and wrap that up and move on <laughs> um, to not get in yourself in too deep there or in a really um, uncomfortable or unsafe uh, situation. So, so we'll do both versions so you can see um, how it might go if things go well and how it might go if things uh, don't go so well. Yeah, um, I also just quickly want to answer Chris Wright's question um, from from our tools. Yeah, you can print out paper forms. Most of the tools allow you to print out those paper forms. So you have a clipboard. And then you had an earlier question about rural where, um, you know, houses are are kind of a whole mile apart from each other. Uh, deep canvassing can also be done over the phones. So the same way that you would phone bank, you can kind of adapt those conversations over deep canvassing. And we'll put a link to a training that our colleagues do that is actually a deep canvassing phone bank. And that would be a really great tool for a rural area um, where the, the distance is an issue. Um, I just wanted to answer those ones quickly before the chat kept going. Uh, so yeah, like like Lauren mentioned, we have not scripted this. We haven't even really agreed on topics yet. So I'm going to throw out uh, a response that comes <clears throat> as Lauren uh, introduces herself and we'll see how it all goes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we'll just be uh, going in real time, seeing how it goes. Exactly. Actually, before we do, I just want to call out a couple people who have just joined us. Uh, Walla Walla candidates are on the call tonight. Jan Korn for the 16th LD, Michelle Morales for County Prosecutor. So thank you to both of you for joining us. And with that, I will turn things over to Nina and Lauren. All right. So I will be the canvasser and I will knock on a fake door here where Nina lives. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hi. Um, is uh, Nina home? Uh, yeah, I'm Nina. Oh, great. Uh, my name is Lauren, and I'm a volunteer with Indivisible. Um, we're out here today uh, checking in on our neighbors, seeing uh, how things are going for you in you know, these times which have been pretty tough. And, uh, you know, I, we're, we're just curious what's important to you or what you're concerned about lately. What's Indivisible? Oh, it's um, a nonprofit organization across the country uh, that um, has uh, groups of volunteers all over. We have lots uh, in this area, in fact, and uh, we are um, working toward progressive values um, and supporting candidates and policies that, um, you know, can just help everyone have uh, better access to a better future for all of us, hopefully. Huh. So you're a volunteer? You're just out doing this? Yeah, yeah. We really want to connect with more people. We know a lot of folks um, aren't, you know, really interested or able to engage in elections and, you know, stay up to date with all the candidates and policies and everything you hear in the news. And so we're trying to break that down to the basics of just talking to neighbors and hearing, you know, what's going on with you? What's important to you? Because we do want to make sure um, that the people that we have elected in office are representing the 
you know, people like you and, and our neighbors, where a lot of the time um, we think that they probably just hear from the same folks over and over again. And a, a lot of people don't really get their voices heard. So we want to make sure that we hear from more people and just have conversations. So if you have a few minutes, I'd love to um, talk to you about what's important to you or what you're concerned about. Yeah. I mean, I'd be happy to. I feel like I've gotten so many pamphlets and things mm-hmm. from all the candidates. I just throw them away there it just all seems like it's just more lip service and just toss it you can't trust anything anybody says I totally understand that um that is a part of why we're having these conversations um because I honestly even though I I'm very involved in this type of thing I don't read everything that comes in my mailbox either you know when it's stuffed with um candidate flyers and I kind of already know which candidates um best align with my values or you know sometimes it's it's just um there aren't great options and that can be uh, pretty frustrating so I I definitely hear you on that yeah yeah and you know I mean feels like none of them are really talking about what we care about like mm. I've had so many packages stolen off of my front porch mm. and like yeah. our bikes were stolen a couple of weeks ago and it just feels like every day I'm getting another notification on that what's that uh that app um next door next door, next door. <laughs> yeah, you know like I get so many notifications about like people's cars get broken into and cars stolen and all that stuff and it feels like that's happening more often and nobody is even talking about it so somebody came with a solution about that and might vote for that but oh okay yeah I'm really sorry to hear that you've had all those things stolen that that's really frustrating and scary right to not feel secure in your home and that when you have things uh that are taken that um that definitely feels pretty bad so i'm sorry to hear that yeah and also go ahead everybody everybody in our neighborhood it's happening to everyone it's not even Mm -hmm. just yeah, that's true. You know, um, I'll mention that I had to uh, turn off my notifications from next door. <laughs> I just, you know, I care about my neighbors and I I want to know what's going on, but it got pretty overwhelming for me, right? It makes it seem like really yeah. bad things are happening every day. <laughs> I which... feel like I could probably turn them off too, but it's kind of <laughs> and I'm not telling you what to do. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to turn it off. Um, but I, I do understand what you mean when you say that you're seeing a lot of, you know, theft and and whatnot in your neighborhood and that um, your neighbors are mentioning things that are getting stolen. So um, yeah, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on what might cause that and maybe have you noticed um, an increase in different types of crimes since the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's just like people are struggling, like, people people are desperate and they're struggling like nobody's stealing my egg cooker from amazon because they are some mastermind criminal you know people are just trying to get by in life and i I don't know it it seems like that's happening more and more frequently and all of our elected officials just kind of seem out of touch like Mm -hmm. the there, there doesn't seem to be a good solution for it, but also it, I don't imagine that, you know, like my Senator has packages that even get delivered to their house. Mm. So like they probably don't even know. They probably never even been on Amazon to even mm. know what it's like to have an Amazon package stolen from. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, people are just poor and they're desperate. 
Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, too. Um, you know, trying to get a better understanding of um, what causes crime. And, you know, I'm um, actually also a survivor of violent crimes and um, connect with a lot of folks um, who are also survivors. And so I think, you know, there are a lot of different ways uh, that people are hurting other people. And I, like you, try to think about, you know, where where is this coming from? Um, what types of situations are people in where they would you know, say, go down a street to look at, um, are there any packages I can get because maybe I can sell it, um, you know, and they might need the money to put food on the table for their family at night or something. So yeah, it sounds like you're thinking about that same thing. Um, do you, do you know anyone who's, you know, kind of been really struggling in the pandemic or, um, or otherwise just, you know, in various reasons that people might be really short on, uh, you know, getting their needs met, uh, like being able to pay the bills and, you know, housing and food. And yeah, just curious about what you've been seeing. Yeah, not really like, uh, like in my neighborhood or in my network, but I know there's like tons of people that lost their jobs and mm. you know, lots of restaurants have closed. And I imagine the people that worked there now don't have jobs, which kind of sucks, but not, yeah. I don't really have many people in my network that kind of fall into that. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you said something about um, if politicians or, or someone will actually, so you said a lot of interesting things. Um, so you said that <laughs> Senator probably doesn't experience a lot of the things that you and your neighbors do, right? They probably don't worry about their things getting stolen from their front porch or whatnot, depending on where they live. I don't know. I don't know where senators live really. <laughs> um, and then you mentioned um, that people are, um, you know, just not, not able to, uh, pay for things. And so, um, I'm curious. And then, yeah, like you mentioned places closing, people losing their jobs. Um, I wonder if, Oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So if you said, if there are politicians who are actually working on this, actually helping, uh, people, you know, who are struggling, which is how we see, uh, theft and other crimes happen. And I think that's that's something really important. So what do you think are some of the ways that elected officials could make a difference in people not needing to turn toward crime, let's say, um, to survive? I mean, if it was just like easier for people to survive, you know, like if everybody wasn't living paycheck to paycheck and it wasn't costing so much money for Everything. I mean, even today, like gas costs so much money in the healthcare, like you go to the doctor and anything you do is like a hundred bucks. It's so expensive. Mm. And, you know, it's just, uh, things just cost way too much money. And I think if somebody were able to find a way for, to, to help people, I think with some of those costs, I imagine they wouldn't be so desperate to steal my bike again. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You know, that's something that um, the organization that we volunteer with and other organizations too, um, 
these are really important issues uh, for us. So thinking about what are all the things that people need access to, to have, to lead a good life where they don't need to uh, take your bike, you know? And so um, I know there are a lot of concerns about um, housing, uh, like in, you know, my neighborhood over there um, that we, a lot of folks have lost their houses, especially in the pandemic. And, you know, you lose your job, you lose your house. And then of course, healthcare, if you know anyone who, you know, has medical issues, has to, um, you know, get prescriptions or ends up in the hospital, things like that, it, it becomes really difficult um, to make ends meet. Like there are all these systems that just kind of um, are making it really tough for people to, to survive, to thrive. And so um, I yeah, the, the folks that I volunteer with, we kind of see it as all connected and we do hold the people who are elected um, accountable for that. You know, why is it so hard um, for people to keep their houses? You know, why are we letting a lot of outside investors buy up all the properties and, you know, turn them into short-term rentals or something and, you know, where everybody's um, losing out on that because they can't afford to stay and um, why is, you know, the cost, the cost of living going up, uh, for everyone. And, and I think that there's a lot more that they can do. Um, so we would love to hear if you're interested in getting involved in any way and, you know, holding elected officials, officials accountable saying, Hey, you know, this is a serious issue and you can't keep ignoring this. And so here's what we want to see changed. And it sounds like you, you have some good perspective on, uh, you know, we need to make it easier for people to to live here and so that we um, don't see as much crime and things like that. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know how political I really am, but uh, it seems like you're doing good work and yeah, I might be interested. Uh, maybe you could send me some information or something, or if there's like a call I could go to or something like that. I don't know if I want to commit just right now, but I don't know. I mean, it's frustrating and maybe I, maybe, maybe I can make a difference. I hear from enough people. Maybe I can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understandable. Um, no pressure, you know, to, um, to join and, you know, make a pledge or anything. We don't need that. Um, so if I can grab your email, we can send you some information about what we're working on. And the good thing is that there are a lot of different ways uh, to get involved because some people, um, you know, are really fired up and want to get out on the street and protest. And some people are, that's not their style. They maybe would rather write a letter to the editor or uh, write a letter to their, you know, local elected official that they really want to see do something differently or, um, postcards or, you know, make phone calls. There, there are all types of things um, that folks can do. So yeah, if you don't mind, um, I can get your email and we'll just send you a little bit of information and see if anything um, is of interest for you. Yeah, here you go. Okay. <laughs> we put that in the app and then, all right, well, I really appreciate your time and everything you shared um, with us today. So thank you so much. It was great to meet you and uh, take care. And I, I really do hope that um, you don't get anything else stolen and, and we'd love to work for things to improve so that that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Thanks. Good luck with everything. Thank you. All right. Take care. Okay. So, so about, I wasn't timing it, but, but about how long was that exchange? Did anybody uh, keep, keep track on that? It was about 10 to 12 minutes. 10 to 12 minutes. Okay. 
And that was the one that was successful. So Terry, mm-hmm. I saw you put in there and you got some folks that uh, weren't so chatty uh, when you've done it. So uh, don't worry. Uh, in this next example, I will not be as <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> You're going to be way more difficult and oh, possibly yeah. say some <laughs> slightly problematic things, whatever. Yeah whatever you want to throw at me. Um, But yeah, I'll say in my experience um, doing this a few times in a few different cities, I've gotten a good mix. Um, I've definitely gotten folks who are like, uh, no, I don't, I'm not interested, you know, like that type of thing. I will say that I think there's a difference lately. Um, A lot of doors you might notice um, now have the ring thing where they can like see you. And uh, so we've noticed that we're not getting as many grumpy people who don't like to talk to people at the door because they're screening you. (laughs) So they're just not coming to the door. Like we know people are home sometimes and they're not answering the door. And we're like, all right, that's someone who doesn't want to talk to people at the door. So that's fine. It saves us, you know, a slam door and it saves them from getting up and answering the door when they don't want to. So I think there, there is a bit of a shift in that fewer people are answering the door, which means those who do might be a little bit more inclined, but of course we will still get folks who are just not really into it. Um, and yeah, we actually had one in Las Cruces right near the, the college there, um, a college student who said, um, that she didn't have any concerns that everything was great. And it's like, okay. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes you get an answer where it's like, okay, well, that's really good to hear. And all right. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Everything seems great. Uh, okay. No solicitation. So judgment call on that. I've talked to many people that I've gone out with and they're like, depending on the other, if there are like threatening signs of any kind, you know, like we don't call the police and a gun sign or, you know, things like that. Absolutely not. If it's what seems like an otherwise reasonable home with a little no soliciting sign, um, this type of thing doesn't count as soliciting. Um, we're not asking for money. Um, we're not asking them to join a church or anything like that. And so, um, but I always encourage folks to use their judgment on every part of this, which includes, you know, I have not approached certain houses, um, that maybe had a big dog and I even love big dogs, but it, you know, like just, there are certain things where like the door is really hard to get to, or there's just a vibe of like, this feels like the, this is very much, you know, and in Texas and I'm sure Washington as well, like everyone's got guns. And so, yeah, so safety first and just really lean into your intuition a lot, including on knowing when to exit the conversation if you are at the front door. Um, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Other people are saying they have no concerns. Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) all right. So we'll do round two. Nina's going to be a little bit more difficult. (laughs) Knock, knock. Hi, um, I'm looking for Nina. Um, yeah, what do you want? Okay, uh, so my name is Lauren, and I'm a volunteer with Indivisible here, a local group. And um, we are just uh, checking in um, with neighbors in this area to find out uh, what's important to you and what your concerns are. And so um, we're just hoping to have some conversations and hear from some folks if you have a minute. You're just trying to get to know how people are that seems weird Mm, i i totally understand uh that this this might sound weird so it's um you know we do work on things like elections and policy and voting and things like that and we know that there are a lot of folks who aren't voting or um 
you know, we're undecided about things. And so, um, you know, it's important that we don't ignore people. And so a big part of this is trying to have conversations, which, you know, isn't necessarily the typical thing, but, um, yeah, we're hoping to like really just hear what's important to people because a part of our work is holding our elected officials accountable. And so if they're not listening to everyone in the area, then they're getting, you know, just certain things from certain people. So just curious if, um, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what's important to you or what you're concerned about. I don't know about all that. I, feel like, and I, I don't know, it feels like you all just kind of come to our door and try to convince us of things. And then we don't really hear from you for another four years when you want us again. So, Oh, that is a great point. Actually, I totally agree with you that that is how things feel a lot. Um, and the reality of how election work uh, happens for a lot of people. And so that is actually a part of what we're doing with this awkward, we just want to talk to you. It is about kind of breaking that cycle of only caring about people for their votes and only coming around during the election. So I definitely understand your hesitancy. Um, and this is a part of kind of shifting away from that model and listening to people outside of, um, you know, trying to get them to vote. I mean, are you even from here? Like, I feel like yeah, I live um, just a few streets down that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, you live in this neighborhood? Yes. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I've seen you at the park <laughs> before, but um, maybe not. So um, yeah, I don't know. If, if you're comfortable sharing anything that um, you know you want to see uh, done differently, maybe in uh, you know local government or state or nationally, anything like that. I don't know. I mean, I really like living in this neighborhood and we have a lot of space and it feels like they're just building a bunch of apartments everywhere. And uh, I don't know, it just feels like all you all do is just take money from people and build stuff. And eh, it's not really my, my thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, but I, I hear you on that, that there's, um, so is it like you're concerned about like what taxes are are used for or just kind of general like crowding and a lot of, you know, new construction, a lot more people coming in? Yeah. I mean, it just feels like it doesn't really matter what I have to say because it just matters mm-hmm. what really rich people who can donate to you all and all the people running for, for different, you know, things. It's th- those are the only people that really matter. So uh, what does it matter what I have to say? Yeah. Um, that's actually a huge reason again of, of why we're doing this because we are also frustrated that it tends to be the folks with a lot of money and power and connections who are getting what they need, uh, from the people in power. And then that leaves a lot of folks, like you said, you feel like no one, you know, cares what you think. And there are a lot of other neighbors who, you know, probably feel the same way. And, and that's why we're out here because we don't think that that's fair, that it's just money and powerful connections um, are the only folks that they're paying attention to. Yeah, this just kind of seems like a lot of talk. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Well, if there's anything um, that you want to share with us to take away um, and, you know, uh, maybe bring up with our elected officials, we're happy to write that down um, and say, hey, we've been talking to neighbors and they're pretty frustrated with this. Um, but I also understand if you're, you know, just not really uh, wanting to continue this conversation. I totally get that. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't really feel worth it. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate um, your time so far, and I hope that, uh, you know, this neighborhood continues to be a good place for you. And hopefully I'll, I'll see you at the park or, or the pool. And um, yeah, yeah, maybe you actually live here. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, thanks again um, and have a good evening. Good luck. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> Nope. Okay, so on that one, that was not me. That was me acting as somebody who doesn't want to talk to Do, do they offer right? any sorts of awards for the performances <laughs> in these role-playing? Because, Nina, you were just, mwah, chef's kiss. Good. I've talked to you. I have talked to you on the doors. Oh, my goodness. It, but she had me where, like, she wasn't fully, I wasn't getting, like, vibes of, like, I need to end this conversation now. So it was sure. like, you kind of had me in this middle, like, Okay, like we're still talking. You haven't mm -hmm. shut the door yet. You haven't said anything really offensive. <laughs> so, so that might have gone on a little bit longer than other, um, you know, bad conversations where you you need to get out. So it was kind of a, a middle where, yeah, you you kept letting me <laughs> like jump in. anyway. So. <laughs> All right. Well, so I think at this point, uh, were there any other things that you wanted to, the two of you wanted to address before we get to Q&A? Good question. Well, I think it's important to note that the conversations look a little bit different in person than they will sure. on the phone. Um, you, you, you get to play around with people's facial expressions and their body language when you're in person and it's easier to gauge, I think, when a conversation is going well or when it's not going so well when you're in person versus when you're on the phone. So be patient if you choose to engage in deep canvassing in a phone bank, mm -hmm. uh, because, you remove a lot of that in-person uh, intuition that you're able to get from somebody's physical body language. So you'll kind of learn to pick up on like tonal cues, uh, but it can seem like a conversation isn't going well on the phone that might actually end up being a productive conversation, even if just for the purpose of kind of learning what somebody in your community cares about. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. Like I, I saw a couple of people comment about like my facial expression and body language. Mm. And, I, and Lauren is able to pick that up because we can see each other, but that's, it's a little bit of a different game on phone banking. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There are some other questions um, in the chat here that I can speak to. So Kathleen mentioned um, a great uh, suggestion about how to deal with no soliciting signs. And so if you do see that and you do feel comfortable still knocking on that door, um, you can start off with the, hi, you know, not selling anything. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're here as volunteers chatting with neighbors type of thing. Um, and because someone above uh, dropped something in the chat earlier that I wanted to speak to, which was, where is it? Da, da, da. Okay. Um, so when a voter expresses an issue, do you respond with what progressives or Dems actually have done? Really impactful legislation has been passed. The Inflation Reduction Act, PACT Act, CHIPS Act. So um, I totally get your instinct. And some of y'all might've been a little frustrated that I know someone dropped like Reagan. And yes, if I'm in a different conversation where I, you know, I'm in my circles, like, oh yeah, we're going to go about all the things that we know about where stuff happens or where all these bad things come from. 
Um, but in deep canvassing with someone who doesn't know me, I don't know them. I don't want to scare them off. I do want to tone down my educate and persuade, um, like way, way, way down. <clears throat> and so that it feels much more natural, that it's much more about being curious about that person and less about, well, let me tell you, you know, about this great legislation, unless there is an opportunity where someone is like, have Democrats even done anything lately? If you feel comfortable uh, speaking to something that's happened, but very briefly speaking about like, you know, what the legislation was called and, you know, which Democrats did it and things like that and directly transitioning into your personal experience and how it's affecting you. Um, you know, so with uh, the things that, so Inflation Reduction Act. And so let's say there are pieces of that that really, you know, speak to you and some of the challenges that you personally have, as the canvasser have been experiencing. And if someone, you know, if you find an opening for that, you can speak to your personal story uh, related to that, trying to keep it brief so that it's still more about talking to that person. And, um, but then you can connect like, yeah, you know, this really makes a big difference for me because of X. I'm curious if, if that feels the same for you, you know, is that a challenge? Has that been a challenge for you? And do you think this might help? So there are ways to bring it in, but we want to be careful about not lecturing, educating, persuading um, at, at this early stage when you're having this opening conversation. I want to jump in with a follow-up on that. And that mm -hmm. is uh, certainly, given everything that you've talked about with uh, this, this, this more uh, deep canvassing, this long-form canvassing, it's all about the personal experiences. And so indeed, if you had something that was, you know, it impacted you directly from, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, let, let's say you have, you know, concerns about prescription drugs or things like that, that's one thing. But I wonder, Nina, um, when we were talking about voter ID, um, is it in any way effective for us to, when we are pivoting, to say, if, if somebody says, we are con concerned that the Democrats aren't getting anything done at all, and you know, and, and you can say, well, yes, I, I, I hear that and I, I understand uh, where you're coming from. Um, I, is it useful at that point to say, here's some things that the Democrats have either done or tried to do in contrast to the Republicans who have not even taken a seat at the table to try to solve those problems, who do you want to return to to Washington? Or is that a little too aggressive? So it kind of depends where you're at, right? So um, if, if you're specifically doing a voter ID canvas, if you're at a door, you feel comfortable enough to uh, say, hey, well, you know, this candidate, the incumbent, actually voted for a bill that... Um, you know, that did exactly that. Here, here's some information about it. That is totally okay to do in voter ID canvassing. And then even with deep canvassing, um, when, uh, you know, the, the, the type of program that Lauren and our other colleague Scott run, it, again, it's, it's nonpartisan. So, you wouldn't come to the table to say something about Dem successes or Republican failures or things like that. But in the deep canvassing that we're doing in phone banks, um, you are going to have opportunities if the conversation presents itself in that way to talk about that. So um, you might have a situation where the person doesn't know anything about the, the, the candidate who you're talking about and they are open and willing to hear. Then in that situation, yeah, it's great to be able to say, well, actually, did you know that, you know, Representative Katie Porter voted in favor of this thing? Mm -hmm. uh, 
or for Washington, you know, Representative Kim Schreier in her first term, she voted for this, this, this thing. If there's that appetite for it, that's great. If as you're having the conversation, you're getting a sense that this person really doesn't like the partisan political fighting that's going on, it's probably a good idea not to talk about something that Dems versus Republicans well, kind of like gauging the conversation, engaging how it's going. And that's why when we look at deep canvassing versus voter ID canvassing, you have a specific script for voter ID canvassing. Right. But with deep canvassing, it really is just more about people, conversations, a back and forth. And you don't want it to be scripted because if you noticed in that second conversation we had, I was like immediately skeptical of Lauren. I was like, you don't even live in my neighborhood. I've never seen you around. You probably just work for one of these politicians. And that that skepticism that I brought to the table would have been tenfold if she were talking at me from a script. So I think it really is just the gauge of that conversation to, to decide whether it's appropriate to try to do that pivot persuasion or whether you should just stay in a listening mode. So Kathleen brings up something very, hi Kathleen, uh, my dear friend Kathleen uh, is here and, and she basically is talking about retrenchment, which means, you know, when presented with facts that contradict your political viewpoint, you tend to not come around, you tend to dig your heels in more deeply on that. And I know that that's something that we all uh, have experienced on social media, for example. Um, and so I, I know that that's, that's speaking uh, a lot to what you're saying there, Nina. The other question that I just saw come up that I really wanted to get both of your takes on, Lauren and Nina, um, deep canvassing takes a lot of time at this point. And we've said it is a long game. We are in August. We have a few months now to make our case to voters in the most expedient way possible. Are we, what, what kind of balance do you think we strike between uh, doing the deep canvassing work and doing the voter ID work and really trying to, um, you know, most effectively persuade as many people as, as we possibly can? Great question. Timing is tricky. Uh, we launched this movement building program in early May, knowing that we were almost too late. Um, and it's really complicated in an election year because um, so Texas, for example, has our primaries extremely early, March 1st. Um, and then, uh, you know, my other state, New Mexico, has theirs June 7th this year. And so, you know, we were already in election mode at the beginning of the year in Texas, and then we were done and there was some space for deep canvassing. And that's but that's when other states we're starting to get in primary election mode. And so this was a tough year uh, to launch it. And right now, you know, August, I, I feel like we are essentially already in election season and, you know, really needing to get uh, folks registered and whatnot. So right now um, we are uh, turning down, scaling down um, the deep canvassing uh, movement building uh, program. There are a few groups who are still doing it right now as they can. Um, and if there's a group that's just really raring to go on this right now, um, we can connect you and um, you know get you what you need. But otherwise, I would say right now, as we are this close to the midterms, um, leaning more into like uh, what Kathleen has um, attended, the deep canvassing, uh, the electoral side. And so where you're doing the phone banking or canvassing 
practicing in person, but you're going more toward that version of possibly some persuasion, you know, bringing up Dems versus our um, Republicans and and um, some of those things. And so that's that is kind of that next level. And I think we are about in that time where you might want to lean more into that version. But you know, as soon as the election is over we because we believe this is a year-long thing we're going to be gearing back up um with the non-partisan version the movement building version and so there's still a little bit of time to do it now but we totally understand and encourage folks to go ahead and jump into um, the electoral related canvassing so i want to bring the work that skagit did our good friends up in skagit on deep canvassing because they're the test case for all of this and i would love for you both to tell us a little bit about uh what they did and in particular um joy ward asked from quallon county democrats what research has been done to identify the topics to raise and how to frame the message that is specific to the community can one of you speak to that yeah so i'm happy to jump in on that one so every community is a little bit different and every community's interests are going to be a little bit different and when we look at deep canvassing um the, it's it's almost like a two-fold process so as lauren mentioned when we do the movement building deep canvassing sometimes we come to the door with just we want to listen. We, we want to hear what is going on. And that information can then be taken back to figure out what it is that was maybe a trending issue that people were talking about in a specific community. And then we can take that information and come back in an election year and say, hey, this is something that we know you care about because you told us, your neighbors told us, this community told us, and here's a candidate that can speak to that. So that's kind of the, from from the perspective of like anecdotal research that gets done is those conversations in the off year is actually a lot of that research that gets done, those real life conversations. Campaigns can do their own research as well. Some of the campaigns who have chosen to do, to have a deep canvassing program will do their own research as well and kind of test it out on the doors. So see if you start with a little bit of a conversation and see how people respond and see what people care about. That's also an avenue that folks have taken. Uh, Indivisible Skagit actually participated with us in the pilot version of our movement building deep canvassing program last year. And um, they chose a topic that they wanted to talk to folks about. There was, uh, I believe it was like a, it wasn't technically a zoning issue. It was like classifying the area as as like a city or maybe a commercial I, I don't exactly remember it but it was some sort of like land use type issue that would have changed the fabric and the nature of their community and it was a nonpartisan. it was a city issue nonpartisan, and they went to the doors with that issue to say hey have you heard about this? We just want to know what neighbors think about this. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. And so that was the, the avenue that they took. They picked a, a very niche, nonpartisan issue to take to the stage to say, what are your feelings about this? And then dove into deeper conversations and really got to know their community and were able to bring that information back and figure out ways to communicate with their community in that way. So the, the research aspect of it, when it comes to messaging, it's very different to 
to what you see in traditional campaigning, where a campaign has run a poll to figure out the top three issues that people care about. And then they just hammer that issue in lit and on the phones and in everything. It's very much more a little in, intuitive conversations that spark deeper conversations and taking that information back and then taking the messaging. Um, and then Lauren, if you want to touch on that a little bit, and then I know we have Christine on from Indivisible Skagit who can kind of talk about the program that they did as well. I think we should just jump right to Christine. <laughs> Christine, come on and talk about it. Hello, Christine. Hi, everybody. You're always making you talk about it, Christine, on every call. <laughs> no, you, you usually get Christy. <laughs> Christy's the, uh, the lead on this. But... Um, yeah, they were, um, our county commissioners are just bent on uh, putting fully contained communities and where our farmlands and our wooded areas are. We're a very rural district. And um, we knew going into it that mo the majority of the population is against it. They were when they did the original um, growth management plan for the county years ago. The, the people were totally against urban sprawl. And, uh, but we were in very red districts. Uh, we went to the smaller towns, not the, not the cities in our county, but the very smaller towns. A lot of them had Trump signs all over the place. And uh, <laughs> uh, we shoot trespassers and things like that. Yeah. But these people were really, really against urban sprawl. I don't understand why our elected commissioners are pushing this so hard, but um, so we did have good conversations with all of them and it was real interesting and you can't make assumptions about, you know, just because someone has a Trump sign or something on it, that they're not going to be concerned about housing and the homelessness. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of common ground that we found in the county. So it was a very good experience. And, you know, we had a topic where most people were in agreement that this is not good for Skagit. So, yeah, I love uh, Christy tells a really funny story of that there was a, a come and come and take them bumper sticker and then a Trump sign and and one other uh, thing like on the car as she was walking up and she like still was like, OK, I'm going to knock on the door. And then she ended up having like a 30 minute long conversation with the person. And, you know, they didn't agree on everything, but they were able to find that common ground. So it's really interesting to see what you're able to learn about your community when you approach it in that nonpartisan way. Uh, and I want to say thank you again to, to Christine for that. And I just want to jump in very quickly and say, I know that we are over time. We're over time by about 15 minutes now. And so we're going to ask folks to stay with us for just a few minutes longer because we have a few more things to cover. We have some calls to action and some uh, some pretty vital information before you go. So if you can spare another like 10, 15 minutes, we'd love to have you stay with us. Um, another quick question that came up from um, Tim uh, Kerfoot, I believe his name is. So. I live in the 8th Congressional District. We had a shocker uh, when Reagan Dunn, the more quote-unquote moderate candidate, uh, was, uh, at, he, he was he was bested by Joe Kent, who is a straight-up MAGA candidate who is going to go up against, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Kim Schreier um, in this year's election. This brings up a lot of questions about how to talk to voters about the extremist threats posed by 
MAGA, uh, MAGA Republicans. And I'm wondering, is this on a case-by-case basis, Nina and Lori? Did, uh, 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 Lauren, do, do you think that this is something where you sort of uh, feel out what their, what their sense of the candidate is, or do you have kind of a, a more prescriptive approach to that? What do you think? You want me to jump in, Lauren, or you want to Oh, wait, jump? no, actually, I, I take that back. Yeah, Cat uh, is correcting me. Joe Kent is down in CD3 and not CD8. I'm thinking of Matt Larkin, which actually, we, we could go ahead and have the same conversation, but I think I would rather have the conversation about Matt Larkin uh, the first because he is also a MAGA Republican, and I think uh, this is something that people are going to be coming en masse to CD8 to talk about, uh, and they're going to be asked about him on both sides. So I'm just wondering, how do we nuance this conversation when we have a MAGA Republican who's running here? Yeah, so uh, this is definitely a community by community, not even district by district uh, type of conversation because within each district, there are so many different types of communities. Um, I will preface my my whole remark by saying that there are districts across the country where uh, Democrats wanted the Trump Republican, the MAGA Republican to win because they think it's an easier person to be. So uh, not every primary where we've seen an incumbent Republican be unseat or where we've seen a, a, a MAGA Republican win the primary, not every single one of those situations is because your whole district is shifting that way. Um, that's why I think it's important to focus on every single community being different. Um, I don't live in Washington's 8th district or Washington's 3rd district, so I can't speak super well to either of them in terms of like not being somebody from the community. But I can say that in both of those instances, the winning strategy in that type of situation is to speak to the issues that the voter cares about and connect how the candidate you're supporting actually believes in those issues and pushes those issues where you're going to want to speak in any sort of negative term against a MAGA Republican is if you're getting pushback to say, well, I heard that, you know, Joe Kent also believes in that. If you are knowledgeable enough to be able to talk about what is the actual reality of it and you can frame it in a way that isn't lecturing and it's not trying to push somebody who already is in support of this person then you can kind of sprinkle that in but really the value that we have is talking in pro is talking in why we support this person who we support yeah and bringing the the moderate and independent voters with us in that way rather than creating that polarizing environment um, everybody has a different philosophy and every community looks a little bit different, but I would say like, if there were a golden rule for dealing with those situations, it is really focusing on the candidate that you're supporting and, and focusing in that productive and, um, and supportive tone rather than negative and trying to bash the other person. 
So we have a number of questions that we simply did not have time to get to tonight. But as we mentioned at the top of the program, we are going to be doing several more installments of this. And in fact, if you have a topic that you think you would very much like covered that you think deserves special treatment uh, here, we would love to hear from you. Um, Lauren and Nina, I'll just give you a, a quick last word uh, before we move on to some of our calls to action. Lauren, you first. Sure. So um, jumping off of what Nina shared about when you're talking to someone who's, um, you know, really got some very different views from you and it, it's pretty difficult. I'm I'm not great at that. Um, you know, I'm my sweet spot is um, the list of folks who didn't vote in 2020. So they're likely not Trumpers. Um, so that's where I feel most comfortable. But also, you know, it does um, bring me to my edge of, of push, you know, learning and growing um, because sometimes people will still say some things that are pretty hard to hear. I would say that um, also in the situation Nina was just speaking on to continue leaning into um, the curiosity and the personal story over um, the facts and talking points. Because as soon as we start um, hearing or saying things that they've heard, um, you know, that they would see as like progressive, you know, sources or um, electeds or whatnot, they're just going to be like, oh, you're just reading from that script, you know. So the more it feels like we're not reading from a script and even, um, you know, being curious, even when they say some things, it's like, oof, that's, you know, pretty hard because when you dig into it about the experiences that led them to saying that and feeling that way, you might find that common ground, um, like the story of the person who bravely walked up to the Trump door and found that they agreed on multiple things. And so if you or the person that you're with is brave enough to do that, continue leaning into personal story curiosity, and I think it'll it'll go better. Go, Christine. Uh, and uh, so, Nina, any any final words from you? Yeah, just want to thank everybody for sticking with us and being curious and really lively in the chats. Uh, this is not an easy thing to do. And deep canvassing isn't for everybody. And there are so many lanes that need to be occupied uh, in this movement, not just in an election year, but all all year round. Um, but specifically within the election year, there are hundreds of phone banks and canvases and text banks that need volunteers. And there are also many deep canvassing ones that also need volunteers. So find the space that you feel most comfortable in. I encourage everyone to challenge themselves if you are at least willing to try uh, a deep canvassing phone bank or a deep canvas door to door. Um, you know, take that step outside of your comfort zone and try it. And then if it's not for you, or if you only have so much time and you feel like your time is best spent in this other lane, that's totally okay. We're here to educate you on um, kind of what deep canvassing looks like and hopefully encourage some people to, to do it if they haven't tried it before. But it's not the only thing that works. And there are so many other ways that you can get involved and things that you can get involved with. Um, so, you know, keep stay curious about all of these different ways that you can get involved and pick the one that works best for you, because there are so many things that need to be done and everybody can use your help. Well, Nina and uh, Lauren, we are just so grateful uh, to you. Can we get a show of, of, of hands? and uh, just a, a appreciation for, for everything that you've done tonight. We really, really appreciate it. This, you've covered so much and you've done it absolutely masterfully. So thank you uh, to both of you. Uh, with that, I will turn things over to Kat. 
You know, before I go to my closing, somebody actually has their hand up. Stefan, can we see? Oh, I see a thumbs up. Oh, we see a Kimberly Baxter. Yes. You want to unmute and ask your question, Kimberly? Actually, no, I was trying to wave and I didn't do it right. I'm so sorry. Okay, okay. Okay, good. I wanted to be sure that we didn't, you know, just. Yeah, thank you. Um, So before we uh, list a couple of calls to action, um, quick, quick gut check from folks and feel free to express it in the chat. If tonight was helpful, would you want to come to another session? And if so, what do you think the next topic should be? And um, we've got like abortion schools, Uh, especially want to call out that we have a number of education professionals on the call tonight. Um, And Remind everybody, Kat, that it won't be Lauren and I that are leading that session. It'll be issue area experts leading the sessions. <laughs> so you won't have to hear us try to fumble our way through those issues. We, we did have a suggestion from Kathleen that we might actually even uh, have some breakout sessions in those. So that might be something that we could potentially facilitate. It was a very cool idea. Yeah. So lots and lots of issues to, uh, to, to suggest and, and potentially cover uh, as we proceed here. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, keep those coming in the chat. Michelle has some great suggestions as well. Um, Kathleen has been super helpful uh, based on her experiences just today with some of the deep values canvassing training that she had with National. So one thing that I have observed um, through looking at the attendees on the call tonight is that this is a really broad coalition of people who are on tonight. I just want to lift up that we have people representing at least 40 different organizations, a third of which are not invisible on the calls. So let me just really quickly mention we have folks and, and I just I want to say thank you for being brave enough to jump into this conversation with people who aren't necessarily in your normal sphere of who you have these conversations with. So for all the people who are unaffiliated, um, especially the big bunch of people who asked to be connected to groups that I've kind of started that path for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Also, Clallam County Dems, Yamhill County Dems, Walla Walla County Dems, LD37 and 46 Dems. We've got Surge here, Common Power here, National Association for Federal Equality, Federal Way Teachers Association, excuse me, Education Association, Washington Education Association. I know we have educators from down south here. We have a number of groups from across the border. We even have Hawaii here. I just want to say thank you to all of you for coming. A couple quick calls to action. If you are uh, interested, you know, one of the other hot button issues we have here in Washington State, so we've got police, we've got education, um, we clearly have abortion that we can talk about here in the state, um, and police and gun rights uh, kind of all go together. Um, If you're interested in the subject of education as one of these culture war issues and how we're tackling that, we have a work group led by Joan Yim, who is on here tonight, and a number of her group members are participating tonight. Um, If you're interested at all in working with those folks, we've got a lot of professional educators and messaging experts who are joining those calls Um, feel free to join that group. They meet regularly and they do really epic stuff. Uh, I just dropped their email schools at indivisibleeastside.com into the chat. That's a statewide coalition of folks who are working on these issues. Also, 
Um, the training that Kathleen was lifting up uh, with regard to the deep values canvassing phone banks that National is doing that is happening monthly. I dropped that link in before, but let me just drop that in again. Thirdly, we will obviously do more of these and we'll send everybody an invitation to that. Um, and then I want to ask Nina to come back on and just talk about the um, deep value canvassing training that National can do. And she is the person that you would reach out to to schedule that for your local group. Yeah, so um, we have the version that Lauren and Scott run, which is our movement building deep canvassing. This is, remember, nonpartisan. It's year round. Um, if you're interested in doing that, after the election, let me know and I can connect you with Lauren and Scott and um, we can get you started on that. If you're interested in doing a deep canvas in your community, whether it's a phone bank or a door to door and you are wanting to do it for a candidate that we don't have one for currently, um, reach out to me anytime. We can get that set up for you for free. We have our van and um and our folks who can help you with, uh, you know, any sort of uh, template scripts, because if we're doing the phone banking, we do still have a little bit of a, hi, my name is, I'm calling from this, you know, want to get a sense for, you know, what you care about, but we can help you with lists and scripts and all of that. If you are wanting to do that right now in your community for the election. So we have that available as well. I put my email in the chat, but I will do it one more time so that you have it, but you may have already received an email from me today promoting this as well. So you should have it in your inbox. Um, but yeah, we can we can do any of the phone banking, canvassing, postcarding, any of that that you want to do, whether it's regular voter ID or deep canvassing, we have available for you for any of our indivisible groups for free any time of the year, whether it's an election year or not. So reach out to me if you want to try to do this with your group, too. Thank you, Nina. Um, uh, just to mention to folks, this is currently live up on Facebook. Um, so we were streaming live to Facebook. We'll edit the video out and we'll make it available to folks as well up on YouTube, um, as well as, you know, if you happen to need a local copy that you want to use with your local group, we can make that available as well. With that at precisely 90 minutes, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Yes. Thanks to all of you. Really, this is an incredible group. There is so much potential here, and I think we're going to do great things. So thank you all for joining us here tonight. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.